Uh, this morning, if you're, you're joining us, you haven't been here for a while, or maybe this is your first time, you're coming on a good Sunday. We are right in the midst of a sermon series as we're looking at the book of Exodus, as we're walking through um, God releasing his people or redeeming his people or delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. And so last week, uh, we walked through um, the, the nine plagues, and today we're going to take a look at the tenth plague. But we've kind of set the scene up as what's taking place in Exodus at this time as a boxing match. It's as though the God of the universe, Yahweh, is uh, battling one by one the gods of Egypt. And so last week we looked at nine rounds of the fight, and with every round, uh, the different God of Egypt steps up against the God of the universe, and by the end of that round, the, God of, the gods of Egypt are one by one dismantled and destroyed. And this morning we're going to take a look at the last round of the fight. And last week we left Pharaoh. Pharaoh is, is one of the gods of Egypt. Last week we saw that he's on the ropes. He's ready to give in. He's, the, the battle's almost over. And we see that God is positioning himself at this time to land the final blow. And what God has been doing this whole time is God has been in the process of reestablishing his name. He's been in the process of rescuing his people and redeeming his people. For we saw last week and and the weeks prior to this that up until this point, God's people didn't really know this God. They knew of this God, but they didn't really know this God. And we also see that Pharaoh, at the beginning of this battle, had no idea who Yahweh was. He didn't know him from Adam. He didn't know anything about him. And so what we see through this process is we see that the Lord is coming close to his people And we see that the Lord is in the process of coming a great distance to come close to Pharaoh. And as he's coming close, we see as as both Pharaoh and the people of God are beginning to see more about this God, we see that the people of God see that this God is coming to save them and this God is coming to free them. And so they're beginning to see that face of God. And then we see Pharaoh is beginning to see the extent to which God's judgment is coming upon him for one, enslaving God's people, but also two, refusing to bow down before the God of the universe. And so he is, is, is feeling the judgment of God's wrath because of his rebellion. So today as we pick up in Exodus chapter 11, we see that, that Moses is going and now we see the 10th plague is being announced. And what's beautiful about the 10th plague is it's being announced here in chapter 11 verse 1. God's plan all along has, has been for there only to be 10 rounds. This fight is going to be, there's a distinct time in which this battle is going to begin and this battle is going to end and God knows the outcome of it. Now that should rest on us this morning in an amazing way. That God is the author of all space and time. And even though through the space and time there's a lot of commotion, sometimes there's a lot of chaos, God is still in control of all of that, and he's moving all space and time to a distinct end, an end in which all creation will be judged by its refusal or its uh, acceptance of worship of the God of the universe. And so God's moving all things to his end, and we see here that he even shows his power over time, and he says, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh, and after it he will let you go. So God knows the plan, God's carrying out the plan, and he knows that this is the final one. And after this plague comes, Pharaoh will let God's people go. 
But we also see in this, this first part of chapter 11, not only is this plague announced, but we see there's a preparation for a freedom. God is preparing his people for freedom. Now, if, if you believe that God is completely sovereign over all things, you read this part of the passage and you're like, yeah, that's the God I know. That's the God I love. But if you are far from God this morning and you still have questions about God, allow this just for you to see that God's hand is powerful in everything. And the things that happen in your life are not chance. The things that happen in your life are being directed by God. Whether they're good or bad, God is allowing it to happen so that you see his hand. I want us to see this morning that as God is preparing his people to go uh, on this way out of Egypt into the promised land, look at what he does. He instructs God's people, God instructs his people to go to the Egyptian neighbors and ask for gold and silver. Like, go to your neighbor, walk up to their house, knock on their door, and say, hey, do you have any extra gold or silver that I can have? And guess what they did? They gave it to them. Like, the Egyptian people, enemies of God, go and give God's people gold and silver. Now, if that were to happen today, that would be kind of an amazing thing But we see God is going to great extents to provide for his people. As these Egyptians are just handing over their wealth, we need to realize that the wealth that they have is God's anyway. So God is just reallocating what is already his from the Egyptians to his own people. And what he's doing is he's providing for them through his sovereign plan. He's dividing for the needs of his children. He's saying, you're going to need money. You're going to need these things as you go out into the wilderness, as you prepare to go in the promised land. So God is providing for them already beforehand. Now, this is the scary thing. It's not in this passage, but if you read later on in Exodus, what God's people do with this provision that God gives them, as they're waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain, what they do with this that God gave them is they make an idol of it and they worship it. Now, if you're a believer here today, that should rest on you as a, a way of saying, asking yourself the question, how do I respond when God blesses me? Like, do I take the things that God gives me as a way of blessing, and do I make them as unto an idol to myself? But we see God's beautiful hand in preparing his people to go as they go out into freedom. And and this is one pattern I want us to see this morning from this passage and through the whole book of Exodus and throughout the whole Bible, is when the Lord's name is being made great, God's people always benefit. When God's name is being, when God steps in and says, okay, I will no longer allow my name to be defamed. I'm going to step in and I'm going to restore my name. I'm going to reestablish my name. God's people always benefit. But the flip side of that is always when, when the Lord allows his name to be silenced by the created powers of this world, we see God's people always enter into a time of suffering. This we see in the Exodus account, but we also see this in the world today. Those nations that are not allowing the name of Christ, the name of God, to be renowned. What we see is God's people in those countries are suffering. But those places where the Lord's name is being made great among the nations, and among the nation, we see God's people are flourishing. We see this in the pattern of the world, but we also see this in patterns of the family. Like if there's a father of a family that loves the Lord and seeks to make the Lord the the center of his home, what do we see about his children? Like the father that allows his family or leads his family in this way, he sees many times their children 
finding favor in, in the sight of God. But we also see the father who, who seeks to squash the name of God and his family. We see that his children suffer. So God is in the process here of preparing his people for the freedom. But then we see in verses 4 through 10, we see the plague is being described. In verse 4 here, we see the person of the plague. We see that God himself is going to be the one that's going to come down and he's going to do it. It's different than the other plagues. In the other plagues, uh, the plague was brought on either by the power that God put in the staff or the power that came through the wind. But we see in this one in verse 4 that God himself is going to come down and he's going to make himself known in a way that the people of Egypt and the people of Israel will know God. But let's also see the timing of this plague. The timing of this plague is going to come at a specific time. It's going to come at midnight. Now, in the Egyptian world and in the Hebrew world at this time, time was a little bit different. Their time was marked from from sunup to sundown. That was a day. And then what was night was not really time at all. It was a time in which uh, people slept. And midnight was a time when the world that they knew was at rest. It was a place in which uh, almost 98% of the culture was asleep, but at midnight was the deepest, darkest time of day. It was a time of day when people were most vulnerable because there wasn't light and there was darkness that was all around. And so God was going to allow this plague to come at midnight. He was allowed to come at the, the scariest time of the day. But we also see that in this, we see the mercy of God. God is bringing about his judgment on people and on Pharaoh. But he does it in a way that shows mercy because he comes at night while people are sleeping. Like, Can you imagine this plague being carried out in, in the middle of the day? Like, it's, it's bad enough that people are dying. It's bad enough that God is restoring his name by bringing about judgment. Like That's bad enough, but the mercy of God we see here as he allows people to pass away, this angel of death to come in the middle of the night. But then we also see in verse 5 the object of the plague. God is coming to show his judgment on the firstborn of all families and of all animals. There is, there's no regard to, to position in society. All people will be under this plague. All families and all animals. All firstborn are the object of this plague. You see, in this day and time, the firstborn was a, a, a position of reverence. Around the family structure, the, the, the firstborn was almost a little god in the family. So the families rallied around and worshipped the firstborn. And so God is, is coming against, again, as we saw last week, God is coming against all the gods of Egypt. And some of the gods of Egypt were found in everybody's family and everyone's flock, all of their livestock, everything, everyone that was firstborn was revered, was revered. And God now is coming against that to remove that. And we see in the transition, which we'll get to even a little bit next week in chapter 13, there's this transition from the firstborn being God to the firstborn being given to, given to God. Later on in chapter 13, you see that God gives instructions to his people to consecrate the firstborn. What that means is when you have a firstborn, no longer allow your family to, to be centered around that firstborn, but you give that firstborn to God so that he can use the life of that child however he sees fit. 
But you may be here today and you're like, so this God that loves us, this God that redeems us, this God that comes close to us is a God that kills. And we need to be aware of that this morning, that that God is holy and those things that are not holy do receive the wrath and the judgment of God. And if you're wrestling with that question this morning, I want to point you to a, a special opportunity that we have. Tonight, over at the Hokesson campus, Pastor John has been working through a, uh, a lecture series called The God of War, The Prince of Peace. And tonight, he's going to continue taking a look at how can a loving God be a God th- that goes to war and go- calls his people to war. And so if you're questioning that, it's a great way uh, for you to learn more about that in an in-depth in in way. So we have information about that at, back at the table. But in the instance of time, we're, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that this morning. But just realize that God cares for his name. And God is holy. And God cannot stand in the presence of unholiness, uncleanliness. And there is, there, there is a great division between God who is holy and man who is not. And there is a retribution. There is a judgment that is placed on those that are not holy. But God always provides a way. God provides a way for those that are rebellious, those that have a heart that is far from God. He makes a way for them to be drawn close. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But I want us to look again now at the outcome of the plague. We see that in verse 6, there will be a great outcry. The people will cry out as they feel for maybe the first time a part of themselves being ripped away. Their firstborn, their children being taken away from them. Through this, we see that God is the supreme giver and God is the supreme taker away. But in verse 7, we also see that God's people will be protected. God cares enough for his people that he enacts a plan to spare them from the judgment. And verse 7 is a, is a simple idiom, and I don't really understand it, um, but the dog, the dog will not bark. What that basically means is that God's people will not be touched. They will be protected through this plague. And then in verse 8, we see a great transition that the Egyptians will turn and they will fear God. No longer will they, they see the gods of Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, the gods that they had patterned their whole lives around. No longer will they see them as people of this distinction or people that, that need to be worshipped. They will turn away from those foreign gods and see God for who he really is. And God will allow his people to be let go and in the end of chapter or verse 10, we see that Pharaoh is defeated. Pharaoh gives in, and because of the, the calls and the cries from the people, we see that Pharaoh finally gives in and says, go, leave. And then in chapter 12, we see something that, that may seem out of place, but in chapter 12, God institutes the Passover. Now, if you're interested more in the Passover and seeing Christ in the Passover, we have a wonderful opportunity for you to participate in the Seder meal. Uh, We're having a representative for the Jews for Jesus come on March 31st. I think it is. There's more information up at the table. But you'll have an opportunity at the Hokeston campus to actually walk through a Passover meal and see how Christ is evident in all of that. So if you want more information about that, let me know or go see the table. But the Passover is instituted in chapter 12. And we must ask ourselves as we see this, so God is is going from chapter 11 to the end of chapter 12. There's almost as though there's the promise of this plague and then the fulfillment of the plague comes later in chapter 12. But the beginning of chapter 12, we see this institution or this instructions towards the Passover. So the question must be, why in the world is the Passover here? 
Why are our instructions about this meal placed in this passage? And I I want us to see, I have a a couple of thoughts and a couple of ideas. And I think the placement of this Passover in this passage is very important. You see, God is preparing his people for freedom. He knows what is going to come. And in this coming, they're going to be let go from their life of slavery, and they're going to be able to embrace this life of freedom. And they're going to have an opportunity to reorder their lives. And so he's preparing them for that reordering of their lives. And this is true about how God acts in each one of our lives. When God comes in and he saves someone, he places grace in their lives and mercy because they've repented of their sin. When God does that, what happens in that person's life is a whole is created. What their life used to be filled with, with, with sin and rebellion and doing things in their own way, God takes that out and he, he creates a whole in their lives. And it's important once that hole is made, it's going to be filled with something. And so God is preparing his people. He says, once I make you free, I'm showing you what to fill it with so you don't fill it with other things. Fill it with me. And so that's why I think it's important that it's placed here. And in this we see through chapter 12, I want us to see this theme carried out through chapter 12. That God gives his people a pattern for worship. And he gives us the same pattern today. This pattern of worship involves giving a time of remembrance where we remember the things that God has done or the things that God is doing. The second thing, not only do we remember, we also acknowledge. We we acknowledge that it is by God's hand that it is being done. We must acknowledge that it's not our hand doing it, that none of us can save ourselves, but that it is God acting on on our behalf for his own name. So we acknowledge that. Then we enter into a time of praise where we thank God for the things that he's done. And then we end in a time of obedience. And we're going to see this played out in the Exodus account. But then we see here right at the beginning of of chapter 12, he gives us a purpose for the Passover. He gives us instructions of how God's people are to worship. And it's interesting here right in in, in verse 2 that God restarts the calendar for his people. The calendar used to begin, that the new year would begin in the fall and was related with the harvest. And so that's when the year would turn over. But now God is saying, for my people, for you, I'm doing it in the spring. I'm doing it in the time of March or in the the time of beginning of, of April. And so in some ways, God is linking the calendar to their calling. He's basing all things on his power and in his own provision. It's interesting that God uses seasons and time to remind us of who he is. You know, this past week, as uh, the pastors had a time to retreat, on Tuesday morning, um, we had a time where we could just go and be alone with the Lord and just ask God to speak to us. And it's interesting that as Pastor John and Pastor Terry and I um, spent some time alone, uh, God spoke to us in a very similar way but through different ways. It was almost the same message that God was giving us, but it was in different ways. And the, ways the, the way that the Lord spoke to me that morning was I was out walking and, and I was just asking the Lord to, to be close to me and to allow me to hear his voice and to just speak words of love and truth over my life. And as I was walking back towards the cabin, I happened to just stop by this, um, the path and there was this little place uh, where there was some dirt and some mulch. And I happened to look down and I saw for the first time this year Um, little buds of marigold like breaking through the ground. And that to me, the Lord just spoke and he said, you know what? 
Even though it's been a harsh winter, the harshest winter that we've had in a long time, God is still great, and he's still a promise of, a giver, of being a giver of life. And even though this winter has been hard, and those, those seeds that were planted long ago were underneath ice and cold in our harsh winter, by the power of God, they, they still will, will plant, they were planted, and they still will bud this year. And the promises of God are true is that though we go through times in our lives that are very, very hard, where we feel like the Lord is very far from us, or we've moved from the Lord, the Lord promises that what is planted within us, what has he planted within us, will always give life. And so we see this again. He's saying, I'm giving you this time of year. At this time of year, I want you always to remember that I am the God of the universe and I care for you. And then he gives them some setting. He gives the setting in which the Passover is supposed to take place. This is a setting for the whole congregation. The whole nation of Israel is supposed to gather in families. They're supposed to gather in their their homes. And they're supposed to, in their households, share the same animal. So all of God's people are doing it at the same time, but they're doing it in their most intimate settings. And we see in verse 21, he gives us a process of shepherding. He says, Moses is leading this. Then the elders are supposed to walk through this. And the elders were the ones that were the leaders over the clans and the clans that were broken down by families. And the fathers of the households were supposed to act as priests to their families. They are supposed to be the voice of God to their families and give instructions of this is how you are to worship God. But I love verse 4. I want to pull this out because this is a nugget that just holds true, I think, for our fellowship today. And if the household is too small for a lamb, he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and shall make your own count for the lamb. See, God here gives provisions for various types of families. Like sometimes in our world and even in our fellowship, there, there are big biological families. Like some of you come to worship the Lord together as a big family. Like this morning, your whole family, whether they're in worship here or they're in worship in another church, you're worshiping the Lord together as a family. But some of you have been called out and you are the, the, the beginner of a new pattern in your family. And so your family may not be here. Your family may be other places on Sunday morning. But you see here, God gives the provision for those that have a small biological family. Because they are the people of God, you're to gather with your spiritual family. And by gathering with your spiritual family, you are still in a family. And so sometimes it becomes necessary for us to redefine family. And this has been so true for Sarah and I as we walk through our life. For God has always called us to be so far away from our family. We've never been able to minister close to our biological family. We've been in Tennessee, we've been in Kentucky, and now we're in Delaware. (laughs) But the God has always provided for us to be able to redefine our family through our church family. Like, you guys are our family. When times are tough, we look to you to fill our, our lives as we celebrate the life that God has given us. We look to you all, and we thank you for filling that in our lives. But that's what God wants the family of God to be, and that's what he, he, he makes that provision. But then as we look through the meal, I also want us to see the significance of the elements. This meal was supposed to be focused around a lamb. 
And this lamb, we see the instructions here, it was supposed to be one year old. And, and the one year old lamb was, was a full grown lamb. This lamb was supposed to be perfect. And at the beginning, he was supposed to be set aside and cared for with the intended purpose to be sacrificed. This lamb was supposed to be sacrificed. And in the sacrificing of this lamb, the spilling of this lamb's blood and the giving of this lamb's life was to atone and to pay for the sins of God's people. Then this lamb was also supposed to be fully consumed. And this whole process of eating the animal animal is an obedience to the Passover regulations that God has given his people. And in doing so, this is an act of faith and it's an act of obedience. And it's an act of faith of God's people trusting in the provision that God provides for holiness. In spilling the blood of the animal, God's people were saying, God, we trust that this animal You're allowing it to cover over our sin. What we cannot do for ourselves, we cannot make ourselves holy, we cannot make ourselves clean, but we trust in the gift that you've given that your promise will make us clean. We also see that it's an act of obedience. In the act of sacrificing this animal, it showed confidence in God's true promise and God's requirements. It trusts in God to say, if God says this is the way it is, then this is the way it is. And if I obey, it will be so. But we also see in this Passover that the lamb really points us to Christ. You see, in the overview of of God's plan of redemption that God had designed before the foundations of the earth were laid, God planned that this Jesus of Nazareth, who was God himself, would come and he would serve as the lamb for all time. You see, Jesus was young at the time of his death. He was a full-grown man at the time of his death. He was a male. And we also see that he was perfect, that he was without defect before God. And his sinlessness alone qualified him to be the lamb of God. And so Jesus became, he met the criteria for the Passover lamb. And we see that in Christ, there's this transition from the need to continually kill animals and allow them to atone for your sin. It's a a person. And this is where we stand today, where we must trust in faith that Jesus Christ can cover our sin and we must act in obedience that if this is the way God has made it, we must obey and trust in Jesus Christ. But we also must see in this Passover that there was a preparation. The way that their clothes were supposed to be, they were to be ready to go. They weren't just sitting around. Everything about this Passover says, be ready to go when the, when the voice of the Lord comes to you. So from their clothing to their cooking, every element was in such a way that they didn't, weren't supposed to take time and set it up. You're supposed to cook the, the lamb over a fire. You don't need to boil water because that takes time. You don't need to prepare them by adding extra spices and all that because it takes time. You don't need to have um, your lounging clothes on. No, you need to have your clothes and your staff near to be ready to go. And we see that there was a, um, the unleavened bread also took part in this meal. It's the idea of the need for us to go through a process of removing the sin from our lives, moving towards a place of holiness. 
but also in the, the making of unleavened bread, it was a, a picture towards readiness, for you didn't have to wait for the yeast to work itself out in the dough to make it bread. You made it without it, so you could stir the flour together and cook it right away and be ready to go. And then we also see the Lord gave them instructions to eat bitter herb. And as they ate that bitter herb, they were supposed to be reminded of the bitterness of slavery that Christ has set them free from. And then we see the position of blood. For we know in the New Testament, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness or remission of sin. Something always has to die to pay for sin. And if you and I are here today and we're sinners, something has to die to pay for our sin. And I want you to believe here this morning that Jesus Christ paid for your sin. If you would yet believe in him, you can have that forgiveness of sin. But if you're here today and your heart is being hardened, and you're like, I don't need the Lord, I can save myself, your end is towards destruction. Now, that's not a beautiful, I don't like that uh, message, but it's a true message. I like the, the grace and the forgiveness part, but the message of God's judgment is not a fun message, but it's a true message. But then I want us to see verse 28. God's given his people these plans. He's given them the institution of the Passover. He's given them the the instructions. And in verse 28, this is a rarity with the people of God, the nation of Israel. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. What he's saying here is they obeyed. Like God gave his instructions and God's people obeyed. Now, we can track through the rest of the Old Testament, and you see God's people continually going their own way, continually doing their own thing. But here we see the beauty of obedience. People were spared because they obeyed. And then chapter 12, verse 29, we see the 10th plague is executed. God gives the knockout punch to Pharaoh. And we see that death comes, just as God foretold, to all the firstborn. There was a great cry among the people and Pharaoh throws in the towel and he says, go, get out of here. Take your flocks, take your herds, take all your people and leave. And we see that God wins. This morning, I want you to know that God always wins. Even though in the midst of the battle, it may look as though God is being defeated. It may look as though there's chaos and we don't understand. I want you to know that in the end, God wins. And the same God of the Exodus is the same God today. God is a God that rescues. God is a God that delivers. And he does it because he can. And he does it because he cares. As we come to a close of this particular sermon and this particular looking at the word of God, I want you to ask the question of where do you stand in in, in your distance to God? Maybe maybe you're here today and you feel like God is far away. Like you feel that God has forgotten you. Maybe you feel like he's forsaken you and you're walking through a time in your life where you just don't, you just need to see him. I want you to know if that's you today, if you feel so far from God, the Bible promises us if we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. 
Or maybe you're here today and you're feeling the closeness of God, but you're not feeling the closeness of God in his love and his acceptance, but you're feeling the closeness of God in his correction. Like maybe you're here today and you're walking through a time where the Lord is trying to get your attention, where he's allowing things in your life to happen that are just not making sense and you're entering into a time of chaos. I want to encourage you, if you're feeling that today, then respond through repentance. Like throw up your hands and just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've been living my life for my own. I, I, I surrender, I give up, and I repent, and I turn back to you, making me whole again, making me clean again. But I want us lastly just to remind us that God's pattern for worship that we see is always to enter into a time of remembering. Continue to remember what God has done in your life, but also what God has done in his word. Take time to remember, then take time to acknowledge. Continually come to the place where you acknowledge that it's God doing the things in your life that are good, not you. And then let that lead you into a time of praise where you just thank him for being good. And then you follow in obedience. Maybe you're here today and God has been speaking to you in a way that, that you know that you've heard his voice today. And I, I don't, He may be speaking to you in a myriad of ways. I, I don't know. I, I know that, that when the Lord speaks through his word, he moves through his word. And our responsibility is just to respond. And so if you're here today and the Lord has been speaking to you in a way and you just need prayer or you need encouragement or you're here today and you're like, today I'm committing to live my life in a different way for the Lord. I'm going to encourage you to share that with someone. Grab me by the hand later on this morning and just say, Pastor, I need to share with you what what God is doing in my life. Or maybe you've come with someone, you have a friend here, and you want to go to lunch, and you want to just spend some time with them telling what God is doing in your life. I encourage you, though, today to respond to what God has said and share it with someone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being alive. We thank you for being God. I thank you that you're a God that continually promises to redeem us, to deliver us from our sin and deliver us from our slavery. Father, I know that there are some here in this place that fully need to be delivered. Father, they need to be delivered from addiction. They need to be delivered from their past. They need to be delivered from this yoke of slavery that that they have allowed to put on their lives. So Father, today, may may they... cry out to you for deliverance and may you come quickly to save them. Father, for those that you're close to in correction, may they see that today and may they just surrender it to you. But God, we thank you that your word is true and that you're a God that cares. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.